Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. back ladies and gentlemen to a brand new episode of the film stage show the movie review podcast for the filmstage.com as always i'm your host brian j rowan with me today we have michael snydell hello bill graham perfect music choice why thank you and a special guest today to talk about john wick chapter three parabellum it's courtney howard hi everyone hello how are you today I'm good. How are you? Doing fantastic. Still uh, riding the high off of John Wick, Chapter 3. Mm-hmm. It's a spoiler for my opinion of this movie. Uh, Courtney, why don't you tell the people at home a little bit about yourself? Um, I write for um, a couple different outlets. I'm a, a freelancer uh, based out of Los Angeles. I write for freshfiction.tv, and I also freelance for a variety and uh, I do interviews, I do reviews, that sort of thing. It's great. It's fun. I like it. Awesome. Well, we are Gwen pleased to Reyes. have you here. Gwen Reyes is the best. She is. She's mm-hmm. awesome. Shout out to Gwen. That sounds like a secret code, but okay. <laughs> I've been watching, right. a lot of, been watching a lot of the Americans. So that feels like Bill just walked up to you in a coffee shop and is like, the sun is particularly green today. <laughs> <laughs> Gwen is uh, one of the editors on uh, FreshFiction.tv and one of the owners on uh, on that site too. So ah, she builds okay. up a, a good uh, a good uh, group of writers there. So Excellent. that's who Gwen is. <laughs> All right. Well, then again, a a now more fully informed shout out to Gwen. Thank you, Gwen. <laughs> Um, the usual stuff before we begin, you can follow us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show, give us a comment and rating on iTunes, email us, podcastthefilmstage.com, and of course, you can become a patron of this fine, uh, podcast by going to patreon.com slash thefilmstageshow for as little as $1 an episode. You get access to our super cool Slack channel and first jump in line for all of our movie-related raffles. In and addition- a lot of Pokemon talk. A yeah. lot. <laughs> We, I, it feels like our Detective Pikachu episode was some sort of like Pandora's box for sending yes. people back to the Pokemon world. So no. we've all started playing again. We've all started talking oh, about geez. how outside the original 151, the designs are pretty weird and we don't like them. <laughs> so, you know, email us if you have a differing opinion. Let us know who you think the coolest non-original Pokemon is. It's definitely Pumpkaboo. <laughs> Bill is firmly in the Pumpkaboo quadrant uh, just because he's addicted to pumpkins. All right. Um, what else? Uh, we are brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema where every day they're fantabulous, uh, wonderful, wonderful <laughs> curators bring you a brand new <laughs> film to enjoy. Um, and you have 30 days to watch. So that means there's a constantly rotating selection of 30 films for you to check out. They've got a bunch of great stuff. Uh, last time we talked about Something in the Air by Olivia Asayas. If you are on Twitter at all and follow any film people, you may be aware that Can is currently going on. 
and uh, Mubi has their Khan takeover. So even if you can't get to Cannes to check out all of those great, great films that are premiering there, you can feel like you are time hopping through Cannes past. You could watch movies like Kid with a Bike by the Dardenne Brothers. You can watch Paranoid Park by Gus Van Sant. You can watch, what's the other one? The Homesman. Antichrist. Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> and yes, you can also watch Antichrist. <laughs> Um, I'm going to give a special shout-out to Paranoid Why? Park. I believe a vastly underrated film. Nice. No one's going to challenge me on that? That I, feels like the type of thing Michael would yell at me about. I, I haven't seen it. <laughs> well, it's on Mubi. You should check it out right after you watch tape. Maybe I will. Good. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Weirdly aggressive ad read. <laughs> If anyone of you at home would like a free 30-day trial of Mubi, all you got to do is go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage. And that is it for the front matter. So let's get into our feature review. That, of course, is John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum, once again starring Keanu Reeves as the titular John Wick. And uh, a whole bunch of really great character actors. This movie, again, directed by Chad Stahelski, a name that I should have taken a look at before I just <laughs> charged right in. <laughs> um, with uh, screenplay credits going to Derek Kolstad and Shay Hayden. And uh, who else? Chris Collins and Mark Abrams. And of course, this is all based off of the original John Wick and then John Wick Chapter 2. <laughs> In this third installment, John Wick has become excommunicado from the Continental because the high table is upset that he broke Continental rules. And if none of that makes any sense to you, why are you listening to this podcast? Here is the trailer. You have no idea what's coming. Mr. Wick broke the rules. I trust you understand the repercussions if he survives. John Wick, excommunicado, is now in effect. You shouldn't be here. All right. So that is the trailer for John Wick Chapter 3. It's out in theaters now. It knocked Avengers Endgame out of the top spot, earning around 45 million, 45, 54, I think, million dollars this weekend. And just today, Lionsgate has announced that we can expect John Wick, Chapter 4, May 21st of 2021. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about it. Of course, we will do our nutshell reviews first before moving into our spoiler section. Courtney Howard, what are your thoughts mm -hmm. on John Wick, Chapter uh 3, Parabellum? Yeah, I like I love this chapter a lot. Um, I thought it was really well done. Um, it's sort of tough to follow up a almost perfect uh, sequel with yet another almost perfect sequel, and yet they were able to do it. Um, I thought that it layered in deeper themes about time and how it affects heroes uh, really well in this uh, chapter. Um, and also blended it with that sort of bombastic, but always based in reality, like kick-ass stunt work. Like the first, I don't know, I think it was 20, 30 minutes or so where it's just unrelenting um, from the time that he's declared excommunicado. Uh, 
I was jumping up in my chair, clapping. I had this grin on my face. Like, it was just amazing. And I don't usually have that reaction to any (laughs) movie. Uh, Maybe the last John Wick I did. But, like, uh, for this one, it was just something. It felt so special. And I'm glad that it sort of has that breather at a certain point in the movie where you're like, oh, okay, I can relax a little bit. And then it sort of picks back up again. Um, But, yeah, I really thought the cast was great. I think they outdid themselves with the stunt work. Uh, The sequences are really creative, uh, even though it takes a lot of influence from other features, other action features that we've seen before, even like – Uh, They embrace levity a little bit more in this, too. Um, A little bit of slapstick stuff um, that I thought was really well done. Um, It didn't feel reductive to those things that already exist out there. Um, And I thought Keanu Reeves did a magnificent job. I loved how they built the world out more. Um, It also built my vocabulary more. I now know what fealty means. (laughs) Um, I had never used that word before. Well, it's not always a knife through the hands, but (laughs) yes. (laughs) Um, and, uh, yeah. And, uh, the adjudicator is a great new character. I want to employ one in my real life to sort of, uh, you know, (laughs) go and visit people who've done me wrong. (laughs) Um, but yeah, and the cinematography just gets better. I mean, everything just levels up to the next, like, bigger, better thing. So I really enjoyed it. So I'm in that camp of really liking it. I know it's taken some flack by some critics who didn't think it had much thematic depth in it, but I, I totally beg to differ. I think that's there in spades. All right. Michael Snydell. You know, I think I do I, – I've had a little bit of a weird experience with the two and three in the sense that I, I still think the first one is my favorite in part because it feels so dingy. <laughs> like these movies have gotten – you know, they sparkle <laughs> now. The way that they shoot every surface, these giant sandboxes that they've made, like this is such a different – series now from the first one you know where you were in dingy nightclubs and uh the the camera work is so much more frantic and erratic and i i I do think that they are still doing an incredible job in in building out the mythology and in this um uh, courtney already mentioned like asia kate dillon as the adjudicator (laughs) i should have practiced this But um, yeah, like that I, – I think that this kind of – her character especially cemented for me how much this series understands like body language and posture and the way you deliver lines more than dialogue, more than just about any series out there right now. Like Keanu Reeves is already one of the most expressive people or expressive actors going right now in terms of his body, but uh, this film just continues to bring in more and more people who are just mesmerizing to watch. Um, You know, whether that's Halle Berry or Lance Reddick, who gets to do quite a bit, or uh, Mark Dacascos, who I, for the almost the entire movie, I'm like, where do I know this guy? And then felt like a huge idiot. (laughs) Because he's Manny in Brotherhood of the Wolf. (laughs) 
that's not the one I was going for. I, I guess it's not. It's not a spoiler. He's from Iron Chef, which I yeah. did not. That's not a spoiler, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> spoiler for real life. Um, I was about to say, is it? You think it's a spoiler because like he tends to use a knife in this movie? <laughs> I wasn't going to say, like, his name, but he's on the IMDb page. All right. Anyway, uh, last things. Yeah. So, okay. The, wait, wait. Before you go on, I didn't want to ruin your flow, but uh, Asia Kate Dillon is non-binary and uh, used a female pronoun. So um, before we I get, get angry tweets and stuff. Oh, damn it. I even. You were the one who brought it up before the <laughs> podcast. Sorry, folks. Um, I, yeah. So this film looks great. I. I'm I'm a little worried about the comedy. It, it every once in a while, I think this is just getting a little too comedic, given how ultimately super depressing this story is. <laughs> but um, yeah, I had a really good time with this. Uh, I just I also don't know whether I want four to exist, but we'll talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bill Graham. Okay. All right. This is going to be fun. Um, I dug this movie from beginning to end. Holy shit, this movie is awesome. Uh, The set pieces are... Like, this is the third one. I've listened to Chad Stahelski talk about it. It's supposed to kind of represent just Wick being beaten and just, you know, mauled throughout this entire process through these three films. And this one definitely gives it to you. It's intentionally supposed to kind of wear on you some of these set pieces. And some of them are ridiculously long and choreographed to an inch of their life. Um, It really is balletic in the way that it kind of displays itself. Um, The cinematography is fantastic. The colors. This one is a very uncompromised version, whereas the first film felt scrappy. It felt uh you know independent it was it was an independent film in in many ways uh and it felt scrappy and it felt like a risk this one feels like the culmination of of having found success moderate success with that first one and then getting a little bit more kind of carte blanche with the second one and then just full on just having fun at at one point there is a apparently a four million dollar glass set piece um where it's like a glass building that exists for no fucking reason other than they wanted a giant glass set piece and it was just like okay let's do it and you know we kind of seen some of this stuff like in skyfall um, some of those kind of set pieces but this really it makes great use of it and it also just has fun with it. Um, it's beautiful. Uh, I, I think this is for my money, the best of the bunch so far, which is a ridiculous thing to say, considering this is the third one. And the first one is so fucking good. Um, and again, these films, I, I maintain they have no right to be as good as they are. Uh, this truly shows that if you spin, I mean, you know, it's a luxury, but if you can get your actors to buy in for six months of stunt training and things like that, you get sequences where Halle Berry kicks fucking ass and is just like one of the biggest surprises for me in this film throughout. Um, 
I loved it. I loved it from beginning to end. It it doesn't solve any of or all the mysteries of this world, so it still kind of keeps things uh, kind of loosely connected and and um you know you still got questions and there's still some mythology to kind of build out um whether it will ever actually make sense is kind of debatable but the way that they have fun with it is is still just a blast um yeah i i I was not expecting to like it as much as i did i i kind of uh, you know, a lot of the early reviews were were very bombastic, and uh, I think it lives up to it. Yeah, so <clears throat> I loved this movie um, more than even just the movie itself. I, I have to give a shout out to the experience of seeing it in a theater with other people. I like mm. so I I went and saw the first John Wick on a whim. Because everyone was talking about, like, there's this fucking movie out where Keanu Reeves, mm-hmm. like, his dog gets killed and he just murders everyone. Whoa, spoilers, man. <laughs> and so I was like, well, I have to see that. Also, it's called John Wick, which is a name that's just like, that's a preposterous name. And so I went and saw it. It had a great poster, too, where, like, his tie is part of, like, a, uh, what is it? One of those, like, old school bomb, like, tether. Yeah, a few. Sorry. <laughs> Possibly a wick. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. What was I going to say? Yeah. So, Ugh. like, I remember going to see that, <laughs> and and people Sorry. in the theater were like, "It's quiet, it, like dead quiet." Like, no one knew what to think because we thought we were going to see like a dumb taken knockoff, and it became mm-hmm. clear like within the first fifteen minutes, like, "Oh, this is like a weirdly patient, understated movie that then erupts into." <laughs> a like musical dance scene esque scene of violence, and then he like calls this cleaning crew, and we're just like completely unaware of what's happening to us. And so then I went and saw, and also the theater was like me and five other people, and that was opening weekend. And then I went and saw the second one, and the theater was packed, and there was a line to get in, and everyone was cheering the whole goddamn time. And during this one, it was the same thing, but like to a degree that it felt like I was at an NFL football game, like <laughs> in the part of the, the stadium that is solely bought out by the most diehard fans of the team. And we were all there to cheer on our hometown boy, John Wick. <laughs> like, And it wasn't like that's a guy who, you know, we've seen on cereal boxes. It was almost like we grew up with him and went to high school with him and we're like so excited to see him performing at this level. And the guy in the chair next to me at some point just like christened me like his best friend in the world. <laughs> Cause like this is amazing. he, so it, it's not a sport to say like the, 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 the flow of a John wick action scene is dispatch like 20 guys who don't matter. 20. And then, Come on. And then have like, <laughs> A slightly more complicated, intense fight scene with, like, a mini-boss. And so every time one of the mini-boss battles would happen and it was over, this guy would fucking hit me in the arm and then just shout, Next! (laughs) (laughs) And I was confused. But by the third time he did it, I was like, oh, this is just what we do now. This is how we cheer on John Wick. It's like when I first went to the Meadowlands and... I realized that, like, um, 
every time the announcer said like, and that's another Jets, everyone would st- scream first down whenever they got a first down. <laughs> and the people around me were just like cursing and cheering. And it's just, it's, I went and saw Endgame and it was dead silence. I've been to like a whole shit ton of movies. It's something I've talked about on this podcast where it really feels like people are there out of duty. And so, like, you know, I'm going to name most of Well, we need to serve, so I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) I will be of service. Um, (laughs) And and so, like, you know, Spider-Man Homecoming, like, Dead Silence. Uh, That that Apes movie, Dead Silence. Like, there's just so many times when I go to a movie theater, I'm like, do you people want to be here? And this is one of the few times where I was like, no, everyone in here has this level of passion and really wants to be here for this movie. And... The fact that the movie pays off that enthusiasm so hard and so frequently, it's just like, it's shocking and incredible. And, you know, I sometimes feel like I'm jaded. I go and see a movie and like fold my hands under my chin and just kind of nod in appreciation if I like it. And this is one of the times when John Wick would do something crazy and I would just go, oh, fuck yes. And everyone around me would be doing the same thing. And that is just a level of, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just, it was a beautiful thing to be a part of. And the fact that like this movie would play equally as well, like on my, on my television at home, just from pure aesthetic, athletic spectacle is another thing. And I can't wait because I, they, they have to get more money every time they make one of these. Like the first one was so small and this one is is so big and i just can't wait till like they're the cost of like a marvel film and they're still just like committed to only using that money to like do more training and be able to film in crazier places and build crazier sets because they seem fully committed that they realize that what's dragging people to these movies like what's driving the herd to the cinema is the fact that we know we're gonna see something that exhausted an actor it's and and i just i'm so thrilled about that i'm so happy that these keep staying great and being awesome i spoke with chad uh about this movie this one but also the franchise too where i essentially just gushed for 20 minutes about (laughs) how much this is like this this franchise is meant to me and uh he had said that any i think he i believe he said this when they were junketing chapter two as well like it's always an uphill the most surprising thing is that it's always an uphill battle for them to talk to the studio and be like look here are the ideas that we have and he's like you know you read this on paper and you're thinking no fucking way are these guys going to be able to pull this off. And the studio is just fighting them like every inch of the way. And it's not until like he, he's got to fight for this every time. So every time there's like, you know, that whole scene in the stables where Keanu Reeves slaps the horse on the ass and the guy (laughs) gets kicked like that whole shit. Like I'm like, if I were a studio executive, I'd be like, here is all the money. (laughs) But like, the Lionsgate people are like, mm, we don't know how this is going to play. We're not going to, we're, we're hesitant about this. So each time he still has to fight for these things. And you would think that after, you know, now the third movie being, you know, proving its worth and the second movie even did very well too. Um, and the first one was a surprise to like everyone. 
Um, you would think that it would be he would have carte blanche, but he still has to fight for these things. Thank God he does, because what he delivers is just incredible stuff. He oh, and his team at 8711 is they're just magnificent. They're artists there. It's um it is it is shocking like just the 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 commitment especially like with something like that stable scene where I'm like what wow they're fighting around a horse and then he he slaps the horse and it you know kicks a guy and fucking kills him and I'm like mm-hmm. someone had to think that up and then someone had to say this is not going to come off as cartoonish this is the type of thing <laughs> It's going to be like an awesome finishing move in wrestling where people are going to scrunch up in their seat and go, oh, shit. And then they did it again. And I was just like, I am down if for the rest of the movie he just walks this horse around and uses it to kick people in the face. Like, you know, that was my predominant reaction in my theater was like loud cringes. <laughs> like just every time that someone was stabbed or something was pushed in further to something, you know, every every person in my crowd was just would just do like a loud, anguished, like drawn out like, ooh. <laughs> like, and I think that was the main sound in my theater. I think that's weirdly one of the things that like people love about these movies, because like you can watch an action movie and like see someone just mow down a crowd of people sure. and it doesn't have any impact. So you're not like feeling anything from it you're like oh okay all those bodies are falling down and now this guy can walk over them and john wick even when he's using a gun feels like he has to go through them sure and there's always like a physical cost to what's going on and you can see the damage that everyone's taking and know that that could just as easily be reflected on our our boy john yeah and this one too it should be said uh, before we can get into specifics that like this one feels significantly more graphic to me than the last one. I like headshots have always been a thing, but there are some moments in here. <laughs> when we get into spoilers, there's going to be like a good 30 minutes where we're just like, and then there was the part when he did this. <sighs> I, I don't know what else we want to say without spoilers. Does anybody have any final thoughts? I, um, yeah, actually, I was going to ask uh, Courtney about, you know, the depths that she saw in this film, because I feel like that's. There was a point during the movie where I was like, this is awesome, but is it saying something interesting? Like, is it organically moving the story of this man forward? Because I am weirdly invested in in John Wick (laughs) and everything that he has to go through. And I can't wait until the series is over to sort of start tracking the trajectory to see if there is some sort of wider overarching thing about grief and loss and like the Mm -hmm. things that we're willing to sacrifice in order to either ameliorate or keep feeling like our feelings and our pain. Well, that's uh, exactly, that's exactly it. Like, I mean, I went back, I watched, uh, I'd seen two recently again. And then I went back after watching chapter three, I went back to, to the first John wick And it was incredible to me to see like how much of a grief driven action movie that was. And that sort of felt like a, to me at least, a metaphor for grief and what happens when you give into that grief. It's not good. You should not give into grief. You should fight the grief. But he gives into it. And then all this terrible shit starts happening. So like his dog dies. 
He's fucking mad. He's he's embracing the grief, which is what you should not be doing if you want to go on and live a healthy life. So he could not get over that. So he surrendered to that and then went full blast into it. So then chapter two starts out. He did this terrible act by coming back into the game where he had this blood marker that he wasn't, you know, he wasn't supposed to come back and that comes calling and then that gets him into bigger trouble. So chapter two is all about the consequences of his action of giving into grief. And so it's all about consequences. Um, And you see that reflected just essentially everywhere in that film. Um, It's in this subtle, like underlying tone of that movie and then this one is still dealing with the consequences maybe even more so but how that really takes a toll on the hero and how it breaks him down and makes him uh you know uh just tired and (laughs) um and i think that's great that they show that he's not a superhero he is He's fallible and he's human and he makes mistakes. And I think that's also why we like him so much and why we can relate to what he's going through and why we want to see him survive and why we we do want a happy ending for him, even though there is no way this guy is ever going to get that happy ending that he has. And there's lines in this movie in chapter three about, uh, I think Ian McShane says, uh, do you want to die a loving husband or do you want to die the Baba Yaga? Um, and you could be either one of those things. And so it's curious to me to see where they're going to take that idea next into the next, into chapter four, since that's been announced, that's not a spoiler. Um, and we'll talk more about the ending um, but uh, in the spoiler section. But like, it's interesting to me that they're building all these things. And I think, once the series, like you said, once the series is done, I think you're going to find all these hidden depths that you may not have seen building up to it. But, you know, just like any movie, you go back and you watch it again, and there's so much depth in there that you hadn't seen originally, or there's something new to discover in each of these movies. And for me, each time I watch them, I see something new that they've hidden. And I think that's the subtle sort of uh, explosion that these movies have where sort of Chad and Derek and who all the other screenwriters who've worked on this layer those in so that they're just so subtle and they may not hit you right away, but they are there. And it's not until after you start thinking about it where you're like, huh, Halle Berry's character is really a mirror of John Wick's character. And she's got, you know, she's dealing with some heavy things too. And you start sort of dissecting all these things in your brain. So that's why I love this franchise. It's not just violence for violence sake. There is meaning behind each of these knife fights, each of these kills, each of these hits. It means something. It's not just vapid. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, I think uh, the one, I, I think the one thing that I do, <clears throat> maybe I want to lead this into spoilers, but the idea, I, I, I think that's my ongoing conflict is that I do think that, that, uh, undercurrent of grief and that like even even the fact that you know he almost seems immortal in the first one 
you know, relatively compared to the other two, where it, it really becomes clear how much of the world is after him. Like that, that is partly my worry, though, is that as we keep doing this, I understand what thematically we're doing when we go through these cycles, but I I worry that as it keeps going, that we're ultimately cheapening something that is uh, so emotional right now. And I, I guess that's my ongoing question as we keep getting one of these and, you know, the bittersweet feelings about really enjoying it, but also wondering what, what are we still doing here? <laughs> if that makes any sense. Yeah. So I, um, I think this is a good segue into spoilers. Um, so we can talk a little bit more about the deeper themes and what happens to John and his, his, uh, his character journey in this because, and you know, if that wasn't clear enough, yes, we're in spoilers now. Um, Woo. if you haven't seen the movie, turn this off, go see John Wick. And so, yeah, the first movie is a man embracing his grief and basically going to war to exact vengeance on someone who metaphorically killed his wife because he can't deal with her loss. And in the second movie, it feels like he, that, that has allowed his world to come back to him because everything that he rejected when he was with her, he now sunk himself back into and they they (coughs) got their claws in him again. And the consequences of him, fighting back against that or that now that that world isn't trying to subsume him again it's actively trying to destroy him Mm -hmm. and so in this movie he has a couple choices to make i I just want to say the two as we're talking about this the ending of the second one that is a brave like really interesting ending for a franchise movie like that oddly sets it up for a sequel but also underlines everything uh you know despairing and and almost like pointless about this journey it's a little bit like the uh the dark knight in that way it's like we've been following this guy he's victorious and his 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 victory has him marked for death and to be hunted um however unlike the dark knight it's not followed up by a movie that kind of skip jumps past all that it's followed up by a movie that literally takes place seconds later (laughs) yes it does and in this Oh, go ahead. Sorry. When I was talking to Derek, I was uh, one of the screenwriters on the chapter three. Uh, I was saying, I was asking him about how he balances out these endings. And if God forbid this ever ends, like this could end on a cliffhanger. Like we don't know. Um, It's a matter of like if audiences show up so that they can get the money for the next one. Um, And so he had brought up, uh, he said that ending the second one the way that they did on that cliffhanger was a giant risk. They weren't sure how it was going to happen. And he felt like it was just as big of a risk doing that in this third chapter too, which I completely agree with them. Cause I was like, dang, like, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> like I thought it was going to end at one point going, Oh, okay. So this is a closed trilogy. And then it keeps on going. And I'm like, huh, okay well let's see where this goes um but you know i'm okay with them keeping going but i think it'll be interesting where it'll go and i hope it goes to good places um not necessarily for the character but like you know for our enjoyment and for furthering the character building and character drive but yeah, and I anyways think- 
like to me that's the interesting part because i sort of was expecting this movie to to end in a certain way and instead it (laughs) ends completely differently and then sets up like another another war to come and i was because my my thoughts going into this movie are well john wick's clearly just gonna have to kill everyone he's gonna start hunting down the members of the high table he's gonna tear down the walls and the, the the mechanics that keep this all going and instead he he pivots and is like i'll come back like i'll, I'll do whatever it takes i don't want to keep fighting like this sure i want to be a part of you again and he has to like show fealty by cutting off the the ring finger that has his wedding ring on it, and giving it to uh, the the elder. I think was the character name. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Who is played by uh, Saeed uh, Tagmawi? Yeah, I, I recognize him from some other stuff. I think he was also he was in, in uh, Wonder Woman. Uh, yes, he was. Mm-hmm. He's in an excellent movie called Spartan. Um, he's one of many actors who I saw him and I was like, oh shit, it's Spartan. him. <laughs> wait, wait, is Spartan the one with Val Kilmer? Yeah. Yeah. It's, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, just watch that one. That's pretty good. If you like John Wick, <laughs> you might like Spartan. Um, what else was I going to say? So like, he has to metaphorically renounce the life he had just so that he can keep living in order to remember the life that he had, which is like a real deep dark thing and then he gets talked into sort of going back on that decision because he's given hope that maybe he can even if he's lost his finger and his wedding ring you know not have to live this life of violence but then is betrayed by the person who gives him that opportunity so he's like at the end of this movie he's probably at the lowest point that he's ever been and he is furious like he ends the first movie Wounded but satisfied. He ends the second movie scared and on the run. And he ends this movie just like rippling with anger. Mm-hmm. And that's that's like such an arc. That's such a, that's such a journey that you're going through with this character. Because when the movie first ended, I was like, so he's just going to go to war again. Like there was a part of me that was, even though I had like a viscerally thrilling time with the movie, I was kind of like, well, that's weird because that feels like it's just going to be the same movie again. And then I started to really think about it. I was like, no, because this movie wasn't anywhere where I thought it was going to go. Like, he's not trying to kill the organization. He's trying to get back in. And then I started thinking about just, like, the way that he looks at the end of each movie. And, like, yeah, there's, like, it's it's so weird that within the template of we need this guy to kill as many people as possible in as many ways as possible, they're still able to weave this, like, weirdly rich emotional tapestry for him. Yeah. Why can't I mean, every movie do this? It's it, it's it's interesting because you know this series is is so hailed for its action sequences, but I mean, really, they've they've kind of boiled it down to some simple ideas of what does it mean to even be an assassin, you know, and what does it mean to try and get out of this, and and you know they've they've done some movies where you have the uh the bad guy with the heart of gold and all this stuff but like john wick is never really portrayed as the bad guy except to other people that kind of stand in his way um he just has a a simple code a simple kind of honor system and he sticks to it and that's kind of led him throughout this entire movie. Uh, he wanted to get out of this shit. And, and that's the other kind of thing that they've always 
you know, we always see whether it's a, um, a crime syndicate kind of film or things like that is is once you go in you can't get back out right because then you will always have this kind of debt over you and you have you know you potentially have killed or have seen people get killed and so you're a potential witness and all this but they never even like touch on that it's just like Nah, man, we're just gonna kill you because uh, you can't you can't leave the the guild of assassins. And it's just like, okay, but like why? And it's just like, cause you can't, like <laughs> you know. And and they never really try and like make it more complicated than it has to be. Um, some of the mythology, yes, is a little bit, but like the simple things around John are are kind of pretty simple you know he owes a blood blood debt for getting out in the first case and that was the second film and now this one he gets to turn around and use that as a reason that Halle Berry is kind of gonna help him out and uh you know I don't know if we've mentioned it yet really but there's some sequences with some dogs in this film that are fucking fantastic I want those dogs (laughs) and like I I was listening to the interview with Chad and he was talking about how like you know specifically like Animals are not actors. They don't know when to act and when not to act. They're just kind of always on. And he wanted specifically to have these dogs attack, but he understood that like, if you decide to train dogs to attack, like they're not going to be able to be used for any other purpose outside of this film really and so like you can't train them to do other stuff and so he basically went on like a long journey like a a multiple like six months or something like that of like figuring out who could do it who was willing to do it and put together a team of trainers that was basically willing to do it and while Halle Berry and some of the other stunt performers that were in the Casablanca scene uh, or sequence uh, they basically spent like two hours a day with the dogs, like training with them, getting used to them for like six months. Like that's that's fucking unreal. Like that's insane. Because again, so many of- movies would just be like, can we CGI the dogs? Absolutely. <laughs> like there are some sequences where you see the dogs attack and you see like the guy get killed and the dogs are still mauling them. And you're like this is wicked like this is this is another level like you you would expect them to maul them and then like once they get killed like they'd just be like okay cool but But that's not how you train a dog the dog doesn't let go until it's given an order (laughs) (laughs) so it's just like continuously mauling these dead bodies and you're just like this movie's fucking vicious there was um yet it's fun it's fun to watch it's super fun to watch and uh, there was a point where someone I wish I had kept this on my phone somewhere. I was on Twitter and I saw um, an article that was like, you know, uh, special effects and like stunt choreographer, like respond to like criticisms about like CGI dogs. And they were like, the dogs weren't CGI and that dog climbed that wall. Like that happened. We did yeah. that. <laughs> and I was just like, I didn't even care when I thought it was like, you know, augmented in some way. The concept of the dog being able to do that. When I think about my dog, the world's laziest husky, <laughs> I was just like, that's incredible. This is so cool. And it's so amazing. And again, it's just, it's nice to see that, like, 
this is a kind of movie that gets made where they have to put thought into things. And wasn't it Tom Holland who said like, yeah, there was a point when we were filming Endgame where I was just like moving my fists and like I couldn't know who I was fighting. <laughs> yeah. And that's not the case in this movie because they have to like spend hours, days, weeks, months training for each of these fights to be able to know that like, all right, I'm going to flip you. Then I'm going to grab you with my legs and I'm going to flip you again. And then I'm going to drive this fake knife into your heart. It's like, okay, cool. Let's just, try again. Just to follow up on your uh, thing earlier, the tweet was from Rob Netterhorst. And forgive me if I mispronounce his last name, but he was responding to David Edelstein's uh, review in uh, Vulture uh, that uh, I can read you the tweet that inaccurately oh, yeah. described the parts of John Wick. <laughs> he said, as CGI, he said, horses are real. The dog climbed up that wall. Our action team was incredible, and I am honored to have worked with them. So yeah, that's so freaking cool. I think yeah. Keanu even said he did like 85 to 90% of the stunt work is what he described. Mm -hmm. He said the one is where someone fell off the building. It was not him. <laughs> <laughs> if someone's got to fall more than three feet, I didn't do it. And you can also go to, this might be a moot point by the time this podcast comes out, but you can go to Halle Berry's Instagram stories today and see her training with those dogs. It was four dogs. Uh, that she had trained with. Uh, but you can see them doing, they built a whole uh, fake course uh, to go through for that Casablanca scene uh, sequence. So you can see her training with them and how she, you know, she worked with them and how the trainer works with them. So all of the credits are there on her Instagram story. That's it's pretty so fascinating. Cool. The, um, pretty neat. I mean, that was, that was like, uh, we can't we can't yet devolve into what was your favorite scene but like sure that was such a great fucking scene just the 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 impact of the dogs and seeing the dogs yeah. in their their awesome looking tactical gear like every time that one of those dogs would sweep in and take a human being down everyone in the theater you know, was like, you know, they made an audible noise, but I just was expecting someone to say, that's my good boy. Like, that's that boy. <laughs> Who's a good puppy? Fucking murder that guy. <laughs> it's it's so funny because I found myself at multiple times just giggling in the middle of this movie during some of these action sequences. Like, there's one with uh, with like ancient knives where they're in kind of like a museum kind of situation where they just kind of keep throwing knives at each other over and over and over. And they're smashing glass to get more knives that are kind of on this display shelf. And I remember just like sitting there watching this sequence and this sequence is relatively early on in the film where Wick has kind of already demolished this seven foot huge monstrous dude <laughs> with a book that is fucking so brutal and so wild and then like this knife fight sequence happens and it's one of those things where it goes on for such a long time that you're just kind of like you get your second wind and i remember just laughing and just being like this is fucking ridiculous and i still got like an hour and a half of this movie to go like, I don't understand how they can just peek out so early and just keep it going. It's, it, I mean, it really does kind of put to shame some of the other sequences in the John Wick films. And that's 
like mind boggling. It really is. It's it's just they've just upped it to such a different degree of difficulty that that it's it's just truly impressive to watch. I think I, I think the only possible analogy, and still, it's the budget is way bigger. Is uh, is the Mission Impossible series at this point? Sure. In terms mm-hmm. in terms of the you know the rigor and the commitment that that's coming to this. I mean, we we've spoken a lot about these action sequences, and you know, like it's it, it doesn't feel quite right to say like I, they are great action sequences, but I I think what is also amazing about this is how it does feel like a remix of so many things that came before it you know we haven't even talked about the matrix references in this but like (laughs) you know of hong kong cinema of um of like even direct-to-video action movies that are still being put out and have incredible action sequences and or things like the raid which they're picking cast members out of for like major scenes in this and like it, it the, is it is such a fascinating thing that they're coming from both sides in terms of you know having a big enough budget where they can do a four million dollar set piece but also where they can make that climax with uh you know two bit players from the raid and making <laughs> it you know 10 minutes like well, like that was something Go that's, ahead, Brian. that's the level of respect that I'm talking about. Cause if you recall, like people were super excited because the guys from the raid were going to be in uh, Star Wars, the force awakens <laughs> and they show even up. Ico, I even, even Ico Weiss, who's, who's the other who plays Rama in the raid and kind of is the other big action star that, you know, hasn't appeared in the John Wick series, but more than likely is going to end up sure. in number four. Like yeah. that's that's definitely on the way, but yeah, they He's show in the up. Fast series at this <laughs> they point, show too, up I believe. and they say like two words and then are in this sure. raptor sequence where they get like chased around in the end and they don't even get to perform martial like, arts. They don't do any just, martial like, arts, and then they're just <laughs> harassed by a giant CGI monstrosity <laughs> that everyone, everyone, I have not heard outside of no, us right now that. talking about that scene. Like people talk about. The Star Wars movies, and I feel like we've already purged from our collective unconscious the knowledge of the the Raftar scene. Anyway, uh, so I just wanted to say, like, when when I talk about this movie as having like respect and like real earnest love of like the craft mm-hmm. that these people have to do, it's stuff like that. Like when they, like you said, Michael, just like so. You guys want to you want to film like a ten minute long fight sequence? All right, great, let's do it. <laughs> No, I mean it's like if there's a there's a great anatomy of a scene on New York Times right now of one of the final sequences. So don't don't watch it and if you if you're in spoilers right now, what are you doing? But anyway, uh, you've probably seen the movie. But uh, there's anatomy of scene on New York Times and like uh, Chad Stileski is talking through the entire sequence and. Uh, talking about where they had to put the camera in the sequence so you couldn't see it. But they also, he also says at one point that it was the end of a 13 hour day. So the take that they took in the movie is one where he starts to get up and slips and falls back on the glass. So like, which is, (laughs) which is, it wasn't supposed to be in the film. They were supposed to help him get up and literally he just kind of doubles doubles and falls back yeah, down he, he was supposed to like <laughs> pop up seeming as though he had not taken any damage but keanu reeves was so actually physically yeah. exhausted <laughs> that he fell down like five times finally gets up 
holds his hand out to them being like, I'm fine, and then walks through them to set up for the next fight. It's so good. It's so amazing. Yeah, we just we don't have these parallels these days. I, I mean, the closest you, you hear about like exercising uh, to this extent is you know like Marvel stuff, and then but it, usually that's all aesthetic. And like, I don't no, want to demean what those actors have to do, but like, it is also the John Wick choreographer for some of those Marvel films too. So which I, makes me some some in the past. It, it, it is it is the guys that uh did it for um captain america winter soldier which also okay. most people mm-hmm. say have the best action sequences like yeah. mm-hmm. like I was the winter soldier yeah. yeah the winter soldier uh captain america fight and you know like that little knife move that arya ends up kind of stealing in game of thrones like yeah like there's like that is their touchstone and that is them having multiple months with those actors to kind of go back and do some of this shit. But I mean, even still, like I, I was listening to Chad talk to the guys on the ringer and they were, he was mentioning like, you know, yeah, on these big action blockbuster films, like they, they do have the time, but they don't spend the time or they do have, incredible action sequences that are filmed that the directors just don't care about. They don't understand how to edit it. And so Mm -hmm. it just gets chopped to shit. And so by the time you end up with it at the other end, you know, you as stunt coordinators, you can only do so much and you feel like you did a good job. And then you go watch the movie and you're just like, well, this is why I have my own franchise now. Like, like, fuck you guys, you know? Um, and so that's kind of his feeling was like, they don't get it. And some people just aren't going to get it. And, you know, there's no reason for me to just keep banging my head against a wall when I can make my own movies. And, you know, Stahelski is, is one part of this kind of team that, that, they created the first one with and Leach now has atomic blonde, which, you know, say what you want about the film, but has some incredible fat fight sequences. Yeah. Uh, Deadpool two, which definitely has some better fight sequences, some really interesting ones. And then, uh, what is it? Hobbs and Shaw looks like a lot of fun. Oh, that's him. Yeah, that's him. And so, you know, he's, He's making his own movies. He's, he is, yeah. His his uh his budget is uh exploding though apparently versus like poor poor Stahelski is over here trying to like argue with the studio to get a four million dollar you know set piece made and he's probably over here with like a hundred and thirty million dollars and just like well you know when I you do? when you say <laughs> sure I'll do the next like Fast and the Furious movie starring The Rock and Jason Statham you get a little more money. I, I agree. I agree. That, but, and that movie's definitely going to pull in that kind of money too. And know? that's the thing. Like I, I, I am, I am sure. so worried about him getting more money though. That I know I'm such a weirdo about this. Leech I just, or, or no, Stahelski. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm, I don't want this to get that much bigger. <laughs> I would be fine again with like, you know, a, a $300 million John Wick movie, like John Wick 17 fighting in space. <laughs> <laughs> when we find out it's been aliens the whole time, you know, no, I'd be fine with that. Jesus. But when it gets that big, then are then that is kind of what happens with Marvel movies. But I like, don't think that's true. And and I would love to invite anyone to disagree with me. I think that a lot of what happens with the Marvel movies is they 
apply their funds differently because rather than saying we can build a four million dollar glass room they say oh well we can have two spaceships with big blue beams shooting into the sky in this one (laughs) you know and it's like again like uh, the winter soldier fight scenes were like the sort of last comprehensible fight scenes in the marvel universe like I find I'll, I'll I'll argue with you, but like I still think that is a high watermark for for a lot of those fight sequences. Yeah. Right, Winter Soldier had the most, like as in the two recognizable ones. Um, the elevator scene is one of my favorites of all mm-hmm. time. Like that's an all timer, which I didn't realize it's sort of a nod to Die Hard with the Vengeance elevator scene. So if you go back and watch both of those together, you'll see a lot of the same influence. <laughs> but of course, Die Hard with a Vengeance doesn't carry that sort of uh, character drive through in the same manner. It's just a different manner. Was it John McTiernan that did Vengeance? I can't remember. But um, so it's just different. And I think uh, just as a point of comparison, you brought up Eco earlier. I didn't see it, but Mile 22 um, which oh, a lot no. of people saw, um, which I heard from a lot of my colleagues was just terrible as far as the action mm-hmm. uh, stuff went. As uh, Not necessarily the choreography was there, but you just couldn't see what was being shown to you. And that eco stuff, like he's a really talented, magnif- magnificent guy, and you see his artistry and his choreography in the Raid movies, but in Mile 22, it's so obscured with shaky cam and bad editing and whatever the director's aesthetic is. Sure. And so you don't see the same amount of respect that one director pays to the stunt team that another one does. And that's usually my point of contention with a lot of action movies with directors who don't understand how to shoot action and mm. don't understand how you can blend character drive in with those things. And I Absolutely. think the Russo brothers are so good at that. And um, you can see that reflected in Winter Soldier. I think Civil War had a good action scene in it, too, um, that was uh, fairly memorable. But a lot of them just blend together as just being the sort of generic, hey, these two people fight and, you know, it's good fan service, but it doesn't really make a large impact sort of a thing. But Winter Soldiers felt special. Um, when you see it absolutely and for me like one of the things i realized in in this movie is like when people were talking about endgame you know there's a lot of action sequences in it especially during like the last 40 minutes or however long that takes and i guess spoilers for endgame because i'm gonna have to talk about it but like people when they talk about that are like and then there's the part when like captain america uses thor's hammer and that's like it like they can tell you the the concept of the fight but they can't really walk you through it. And I feel like I could take you, just from having seen it the once, beat by beat through a lot of these action scenes. Because they become like a story in and of themselves. So like, I, you know, so, someone can say like, oh, you know, Captain America, th- like throwing the, the hammer around. And that's like the overarching concept, but you can't tell me the character beats within that concept. Every inch of that space in John Wick is going to be used. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, I could tell you, like, about... Like, I've just been explaining to people when they're like, so what is it about, like, John Wick that's so awesome? And I was like, there's a scene in this movie where they're fighting in a museum, 
and he smashes a guy through a glass display case and there's a pause and the guy turns and sees that the case is full of knives and then Keanu Reeves sees that as well then turns around punches the glass of the case behind him and then they just start coming at each other with knives and breaking display cases to get other knives yeah and it's just it's incredible it's like the, there's a comedy in it like the kind of mm-hmm. dawning realization of like oh we are surrounded by knives we could totally yeah. use these and then right, the fact seems- that he has to Go use on. multiple knives to kill people <laughs> like he has to throw yeah. like 12 knives into a guy to finally get him to go down this seems like very much a sort of nod to the silent era stuff that like Chaplin would do mm-hmm. or that Harold Lloyd would do, um, Mm. which, you know, the series has paid homage to Harold Lloyd twice now in uh, these movies, too. Um, So that sort of felt like, you know, they're going at it. They're punching each other. There's fisticuffs. You hear them smacking each other around. And then they look around. They're like, they both look at each other like they look at the display case. And then they look at each other like we could be fucking fighting each other with knives. (laughs) And then they just break the glass and start throwing the knives. And it's Uh. like. I was like, yes. And I was in this tiny screening room for press, like probably maybe like 15 person screening room. And there's maybe nine of us in there. And I was just like, you know, you walk that line of being like trying to be cool (laughs) about things, but I was like, not cool at all. I was just like, yes. (laughs) And a lot of us too, like what you were saying before, it was like, these movies spark engagement and they really want Mm. you to, they really encourage you to sort of have this engagement, the special engagement with them where you get the feedback of the, Oh, ah, shit. (laughs) And like a lot of us started like, you know, by the time the movie ended, like as the fights continue, we're just going, Oh, (laughs) and so it just became this communal event, um, even for press. So it's crazy. I love these movies. They're so good. <laughs> There's, uh, yeah. This we could get to the point now where we could just start to evolve into talking about parts that were awesome, <laughs> like when he stabs a guy in the top of his skull and has to hammer the knife in there. <sighs> yep. Oh. Yep. Yikes. <sighs> uh, Michael, you know uh, that I have a thing with eye trauma. So. Oh, you do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a tough thing for me to watch when he very slowly stabs someone in the eye. Oh, right. Eesh. I also love that he, um, this is something like, it's just one of those things that I'm watching a movie constantly and I'm like, there's a knife in that guy. Pull the knife out and use it on another guy. And he does that in this movie. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. He you does got, that multiple times. You got like, 20 knives like, in that one body. He's dead. Repurpose some of those knives. Well, it's funny because we haven't even touched on like the final, final sequence, which like makes such clever use of like today's like uh advances in technology and body armor where like i Mm. for some reason on facebook i came around i I came across like someone doing a review on like a a uh full uh tactical mask that had body armor built into it it was like a kevlar mask and like it was taking like 45 rounds. Like it was, it was taking some, some serious damage. And like, he Who was just like following Bill. I, I don't <laughs> He's know. In Texas. I, 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 I sometimes run across these things and I'm like, okay, I'll watch this. What the <laughs> fuck is this? Um, but anyways, like, and so they make use of it because what is like the one thing that wick 
so far in this franchise has really kind of been known for is the headshot. Like they don't wing people. He and like multiple times in this movie and at the end, like he doesn't just shoot people once in the head. Most of the time he's double tapping it at least. And so it's kind of like playing with that by the end of this film where it's just like, Oh yeah, you can't just headshot them. And, and like, there's a sequence where like these guys, the SWAT team kind of shows up at the end to take them all down and they end up like getting hit and hit and hit. And they're just kind of like turning around, like they're reloading in the middle of a battle sequence and they're just getting pelted with bullets. And they're just like, eh, fuck you guys. Like, and you can I'm see the load. bullets like careening yeah. off of them. It's just so, it's so cool, man. And, and like by the end of that sequence, they end up having to get shotguns and they're just like, okay, like, you know, we're not going to mess around anymore. And what does he do from that point on? He still shoots people in the head like twice. And you're just like, <laughs> there was a part of me that was legitimately so like, conserve your ammo, John Wick. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's, it's so wild that they just continue to just kind of play with it just a tad bit. They're like, oh, you think you've, you know what's going to happen here and you think you kind of have a beat on like our action sequences, but now we're going to have to like up the ante just yeah, they, a tad bit more. They add an extra layer to the game, you know, like because we're used to him like grappling someone, getting them down and then going in for the headshot. And this, he's got to get past the armor. So he's either got to like shoot them under the back of the helmet or, or my favorite, every once in a while he flips a guy's visor up, takes a couple yes, shots. Does. But then... Yes. The weirdest thing, and th- I don't know what this says about me or about John Wick, but whenever he does that, he flips it back down, <laughs> he closes the visor, and I don't know why it that struck me as such a distinct character detail. He's a nice guy. I, I guess, think John Wick's a sweetheart. I mean, come on, we saw him with the dog. <laughs> but also, like there, you so so. I have a thing in my in my brain. Like I I use firearms. I was a professional target shooter for a while, and um, it bums me out in a movie when like they're not reloading, mm-hmm. or yeah. when someone who's supposed to be really good at doing stuff with firearms clearly doesn't know how to use them. Um, one of my favorite little behind the scenes things I ever heard was um in shooting Barry um Bill Hader was like you know talking about how like you know I have to look like I know how to use this gun but the truth is I kind of don't so like I've got the stance down and everything but I can I can't sure. reload without looking like I'm supposed to be able to so sometimes I'll screw up a shot and there was an episode where they he did it and they had to cut the shot early because he was so excited that he did it that he started <laughs> smiling <laughs> What a Bill Hader thing. I know. But like you see this and you can find the videos of Keanu Reeves like using actual guns on YouTube Mm -hmm. and like he knows what the fuck he is doing. Like watching him reload that shotgun was almost as fun as watching him murder people with that shotgun. It was uh, I don't know what the fuck he was doing, but it made sense in my mind that I was like, okay, yeah, I, I, I guess that works. Like he was loading like four shells in like a clip and i was just like that doesn't make any sense to my well, it's mind like, it's a tubular like below barrel loading shotgun so he was just holding the pump and like keeping the breech open and throwing them in but it he was, did it at like four at a time yeah because like, he's that just, like, fucking fast what? he's like, like <laughs> that's the weirdest like that is the kind of physical acting 
that even more so than like climbing a building or something like that shows a level of dedication and like again it serves we as a are character in the thing. weeds on gun talk right now. <laughs> look i don't get to gun talk much in my life okay i live in washington dc all of my friends are strikingly liberal <laughs> so like well, like that scene that's that scene in john wick 2 when he goes to talk to the sommelier mm-hmm like, that for me is like the scene in the Fast and Furious movies where the guys are talking about cars. Because I don't know shit about cars, <laughs> but I know a little something about guns. And so I'm just there mm-hmm. like, ah, those beautiful, beautiful machines. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I do want to say, I think that too is representative of why Keanu Reeves is great in this movie. In the same way that uh, people have been talking about an anecdote of, Van, of uh, Gus Van Sant talking about when they were making... Um, Oh, shit. I can't remember what he made with Keanu Reeves. Oh, My Own Private Idaho? Yes, thank you. And River Phoenix. And he gave a a book uh, to both of them, or a list of books to read. And River Phoenix looked through, like, five pages. And Keanu read that book and everything by that author (laughs) in preparation for that role. And I feel like that that says so much about what he actually brings on screen like it's it's it's, i i I really completely understand why he is the internet's true boyfriend let's be honest here (laughs) when i was talking to uh chad about how he casts these movies uh if they have to take some sort of like physical aptitude test to see if they'll be like physically fit enough to participate and be able to do these stunts because it's more than just casting and reading the lines like you have to read your you have to deliver on your lines but you also have to deliver on the physicality of the whole thing and so i was asking for you know obviously mark's got the background and the guys from the raid have the background but like somebody like Halle berry how did she sort of fare and what sort of things did she bring that you wanted to bring out uh, sort of a thing when i was talking to him and he said that she had come to uh, the uh, she had come knowing like she had watched all of the behind the scenes uh, featurettes on the discs on both of the movies discs. She had talked to agents and managers of everyone involved in these movies. And she was like really excited. Like she really wanted to be a part of this and made it well known that she wanted to be a part of this. And he was saying that with a lot of the cast, he doesn't have to like sell them on being in the movie. They come to him and he says, like, you can sort of see that in the films because the, these people, these actors want to be there and it's reflected in how, in how much passion they're bringing to their role, not just, like I said, in the line delivery, but also how they interpret the action and the choreography and, and doing their jobs with, sort of this like light in their eyes that we normally don't see them doing when it's like a, you know, for the paycheck sort of job. Yeah. So and and Halle Berry in this movie, we've talked about her a bit, but I just got to say like, she's incredible. She's, she holds her own in, in every single possible way and invests her character with a lot of depth just from the few character details we get to know about mm-hmm. her. And, um, <clears throat> we haven't mentioned Ian McShane who is, so this good. Is, he said this is like his medius role since Deadwood, which is crazy. Well, it's weird because like in Deadwood, he's like a, a grousy, like greasy dude who's like vulgar and crazy. And in this one, he gets sure. to be like same energy directed in like the more refined direction. 
Um, yeah. What I wanted to say, the final thing I want to say about Halle Berry, just talking about, you know, people being dedicated to learning all the stuff needed to look like they know what they're doing. Like, there's a scene where she checks that she has a full clip and starts going. And then I, you know, because I'm, I'm an idiot and a nerd, and I started counting the shots. <laughs> and when she got to the end of the clip... She drops the clip and then immediately slaps another one in. And I was just like, yeah, she knows what the fuck she is doing. Like, I just watching her reload, I, I was the only one in the theater who said it, but I was like, oh, damn. Because <laughs> it, it's just, it's, and it's, it's weird because I apply the same thing to like when I'm watching like uh, Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Like when I see that man cut a piece of fish, <laughs> I'm like, this is clearly someone who knows what they're doing to a degree that I never will. Like, this is selling me on this guy's abilities. Ah, that's so well, it's always exciting to watch somebody do their job and do it proficiently and with the knowledge that, you know, you may not have. So it's always the, exciting. It's the same reason that, like, I look up YouTube videos of, like, Ricky Jay doing magic and, like, expert artists and glass blowers. Like, there's something about <laughs> that level of delicate, like, fine-tuned craft that you can execute seemingly flawlessly even though it's because you've trained yourself over however many hours to to do a thousand complex tasks in a single motion it's uh it's awesome and i i love being able to watch a movie like this and see that on the screen and to see it you know done by a crew that clearly cares about making sure that people know how much effort this was i, I you know i i am I do want to say this has been too much of a love fest, so I obviously have to say something negative. Well, someone has um, to do it. It's going to be my <laughs> No, I, it, it, it does seem like um, even the people who are uh, even a little bit cooler on this but still really like it, there, there's some contention about the second, second act in Casablanca. So I, I'm just wondering whether anyone felt like the, the pacing was off in this at all no <laughs> i do like um we keep we keep talking about um just because you brought up Casablanca, we keep talking about how like we're three we're three movies into this series and we still haven't had a point where someone says well you know it was 1098 when the the first assassin sat down and decided uh, that there had to be mm-hmm. a better way like we haven't had that yet. We haven't had that stupid scene yet. No. And in each movie, <laughs> happen. I, I don't want it to happen. <laughs> but I love that in each movie, they they introduce or further explain like some little thing that we saw in the first movie that might New not currency. have made any sense. And in this movie, they do an expert thing because people have been saying like, what is the goddamn economy of these assassins? Like they're getting paid in money, but they also have these gold coins and like, Right. A coin is like gold good coin. for one suit, one drink, or one gun, or like you know what does it mean? And in this <laughs> we, movie, we, like, we talked room. about that. We talked about that. It, it's just a really good fucking tip. Like it, it must be good whiskey. Well, I they guess. they talk about it in this movie. He's like, it doesn't have a monetary value. It's a symbol of like the social contract between us mm-hmm. all. So it's mm-hmm. like, it, it is just like it's it's not money. Like the money still exists. Like you still do need money to go and do some stuff. But like amongst this group of people it's like a non-set fluctuating kind of currency and i i just like that i like that we've like seen where they come from and they kind of talk about the history of it but still don't have that that shitty scene that when i even brought up the type of scene it made michael cry 
the mm-hmm. national the national treasure type scene. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I've seen people, other critics, sort of complain that it hits a lull, uh, more lulls in this chapter than in the other ones. But I sort of, I didn't view it as that. I sort of thought it was a necessary uh, breather because if it's all unrelenting action, you're going to be like, it's already exhausting as it is, exhausting in the best of ways. But mm-hmm. it would just be even more just exhausting and punishing for the actors but also for the audience to be there and be like how much can they go like i'm tired of seeing this then i think it turns into something that's maybe not as deep so i i sort of felt like there was a breather there and Mm -hmm. you know yeah it waned a little bit when he's talking to uh before he cuts off you know the sim the symbolism of cutting off his uh ring finger but you know it's still there's still depth there there's still stuff going on there it just your mileage may vary there as far as if you're into it or paying attention to it or not but it's there for you to discover later but there's still character stuff going on there um subtle character stuff going on there that impacts everything so it's not like nothing is happening stuff is still going on Mm-hmm. But it's just not action, action, action. It's more internalized things happening. So what you're saying is you want more TikTok, man. <laughs> well, I do love me Jason Manzukis. So I, yes. I was shocked that um, how little TikTok man was in it. And I was also surprised, too, that to bring up Halle Berry again, that I was like, oh, my God, we're like 45 minutes in and we haven't seen Halle Berry yet. <laughs> And then she she's in it and then she's out. And it's like, wait a minute. Oh, wow. She got <laughs> I mean, it's kind of interesting. Like these these actors got their own character posters like that's great. But I was a little shocked about how little Jason Manzukis was in this and how little, <laughs> you know, Halle Berry, you know, plays her part and plays it well. But still, I thought she would have more of a, a bigger function to this one but yeah, you know. i want i want jason manzukas i want cousin rafi in the next one like with a gun <laughs> doing some stuff <laughs> oh boy though i no, can I think of nothing more dangerous than pocket dogs <laughs> i can think of nothing more dangerous than jason manzukas being given any kind of firearms training <laughs> <laughs> uh, you mean if i pull this trigger i can <laughs> it's just like oh no do, uh, do any of you have any dream casting that you'd like to see? Oh now that no, don't ask me that. <laughs> Sandra Bullock. I want Sandra Bullock. Oh my Bullock god, that would be so good. Well, well that was or such a rumor. <laughs> that was a that was a big heavy rumor for like a, a little while when they announced John Wick 3. They were like, are they going to get Sandy? And I mean, hey, we Sandy could get the duo. We could get I'm the still duo lobbying get, for for another another speed reunion there like get that happening i need that it's still unrequited <laughs> even yeah and then, and then the our House. favorite our favorite uh, uh writer director uh you know joss whedon could uh take uh take some stabs at it right guys yeah i'm yeah? gonna kill um, you no billiam <laughs> no thanks that's it bill has been removed from the podcast uh, we apologize that he was ever here <laughs> he's canceled <laughs> Um, 
I'm going to say that I, this is, uh, I was going to come up with someone who I never wanted to see in one of these movies, but that feels cruel. So what about Shea Wiggum? <laughs> Why okay. not? Okay, let's let's wrap this up. Wait, no, I, I'm serious. I want Shea Wiggum in this. Shea okay, Wiggum's great. Right. He doesn't have to be a gun toter. He could be like, I don't know, what's a sort of mon- like esoteric sounding job title he could have? Another sommelier. The the agrarian. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the fuck. It feels like about. they look up like a list of medieval <laughs> jobs and are like an adjudicator, <laughs> a TikTok man. <laughs> <laughs> um and James Badgedale. Mm, yes. Oh, mm, James James Badgedale would be great. He would be great. I just yeah, thought of an even better one though cuz I was like who is someone Steve who I've Yoon. seen What was that? Oh, Steve Yoon. That would be good. I'm I was trying to think of like who's someone who I've seen do really good martial arts in a movie? Chiwetel Ejiofor. Ooh. From Red Belt. He's got oh, the right. grappling style. I, oh, that would be so good. We haven't named any women, which isn't great. <laughs> no, I said Sandy. Sandy you did say Sandy. We, we, it's just got to be somebody. Who would I want in this? Oh. I, I bet Chastain would actually super commit. That is 100%. She's got to survive it this, this summer. So let's let's wait. That's she has a, to survive? Is she going to die? The, the clown? Oh, the clown. Oh, oh the so clown. you literally meant capital I, it. Yes. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I didn't know I had to spell that out. My I was really confused. I'm like, what does she have to survive? <laughs> she is, funnily enough, Michael, 100% the person I was going to say I did not want to see in this movie. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, but I think she could do well. I just am, she usually, and maybe this is just like the the things that she's been asked to do. I don't know that she carries with her the humor she would need for this, but I'd be willing to see her try. I think that would be good. I think that they would be able to get it out of her. Cause usually people are like, can you stand with your arms crossed and look very severe? And she's great at that. And like, I love her, but I feel like ever since, what is it? Like the tree of life was like the only role that like asked her to do something that was a little more than just be that. So actually maybe You're I do want her in this 30. just cause I want to give her the ability to like stretch her legs a bit. Zero Dark Thirty, Brian? But that's more of that. Like, I feel like people are like, she was really great in Zero Dark Thirty. So now, like, Aaron Sorkin's like, you can be Molly in Molly's game. We can have you in the debt. I don't I think I want her in this now because I want to see her have fun in her role again. <laughs> <laughs> like, the hell? I'm trying to think if there's someone else that I'd want to see. I'll immediately think of someone as soon as we get off of which get off the podcast. That's true. Um we'll just have to like send out a tweet that's like tell us who you'd want to see in the next John Wick movie. Actually that's a good tweet idea. That thing yeah. all right, yeah. Yeah. It's happening now. All right. Sweet. Looking forward to it. Does anyone else have any final fan <laughs> casting before we wrap this up? Nope. No? We're right. good. Let's get out of here. So John Wick Chapter 4 with Jessica Chastain, Sandra Bullock, Chiwetel Ejiofor, <laughs> Shea Wiggum. <laughs> and Eco. And uh, don't forget James Badgedale. What if we got like Mark Duplass and no, Paul Shearer no. and June Dan Raphael stop, and just had stop. everyone from the league on it? <laughs> I think that's a great idea. Anyway. Duplass sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so... Just gonna skip on by that. 
Um, that's it for today. We are done loving on John Wick. We hope that you've enjoyed this. Uh, go out, see it, light the wick, enjoy the, the fireworks. So mm, come on, Brian. I'm hungry. I'm getting punchy. Um, oh, let's see. Uh, where can you find us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook The Film Stage Show? Don't forget to get to our Patreon. Go to Patreon.com/slash The Film Stage Show to give us your money. And don't forget to get your free 30-day subscription to Mubi by going to mubi.com slash filmstage. You can check out their Can Takeover, which again has great films from the Darden brothers, Tommy Lee Jones, and uh, Gus Van Sant, and Lars von Trier, amongst many others. And um, I don't know if tape is still on there, but if it is, you should check it out, because tape, Michael, Mm -hmm. is tape a good movie? (laughs) Just, You're not going to say it, are you? I, I, no, it's just I don't know. I've, I'm kind of burned out on Richard Linklater these days, but <laughs> whatever. Um, I, I'll, I'll watch it sometime. Good. It's still on there. You have like eight days to watch. <gasps> Again, that's mubi.com/slash/filmstage. So that is it for us today, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Want to thank Courtney Howard for joining us to gush all over John Wick. You. <laughs> It's blood, Michael. It's just blood. Don't worry. Okay. Still gross. (laughs) Thanks for having me on. It was fun. Um, Would you like to tell the fine people at home where they can uh, find you online to follow your work? Sure. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Lula Maybell. You can also look me up on Variety. Uh, You can also find me on uh, freshfiction.tv and uh, on Instagram. If you want to see pictures of my dog, because she's oh, so cute. Yeah. Do you um, think that your dog would hold its own in a fight? Um, it depends on who she's. I mean, she's not really a fighter. She's a lover, so. <laughs> oh, okay. She's she just sits there and acts real cute just to scam <laughs> treats. But uh, yeah, so Instagram is same as Twitter handle at Lula Maybell. All right, Bill Graham. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CableBFG, and then you can also find me mixing it up on the Slack channel, uh, posting pictures of Pumpkaboo all day. All right, Michael Snydell. I, I was going to ask you, Courtney, where is your John Wick interview going to be? Um, it's already on. All my John Wick stuff is on FreshFiction.tv, so you can see my interviews with uh Derek and Chad there and then my review for John Wick is also on freshfiction.tv. Unfortunately, I did not get to inter- I did not get to interview them for Variety nor review it for Variety. Um <laughs> maybe chapter 4 will bring that pleasure. <laughs> uh you can you could find me on Twitter at, at @snidel and uh I'll have reviews of The Perfection and Wild Rose which has uh, Jesse Buckley, who I'd never heard of, and it's just an incredible talent. So uh, look forward to that. All right, and of course, you can find my personal site, brianjrowan.com. I'm on every social media site under the sun that I am aware of, at brianjrowan. And, uh, yeah, you can find all these episodes at thefilmstage.com, along with all of my writing for that site. And uh, that is that. So... I don't remember what we're talking about next week, so I'm going to artfully glide Book by smart, that. Book I smart, believe. Is it? Yeah, okay. sure. Well, don't well, remember. <laughs> Olivia Wilde. Yeah. Nice. I feel like no. I saw trailers for like 17 movies that are coming out this week when I went and saw John Wick. 
Yeah. And I can't remember a single one of them. But anyway, uh, we'll be back to talk about something. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us and tune in next time. Good